everybody, you're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 625, Living My Nightmare. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? It seemed as if you were slightly unsure of who you were there for a second, just a little <laughs> no, pause. No, I'm good. <laughs> well, I'm doing well. The real question is, how are you doing, Frank? Because, you know, we've managed Uh-oh. to go a while without this discussion, but... Oh, I know it's coming. <laughs> The Live Golf Tour is back. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Because <laughs> it had become less relevant. We maybe even thought that the supposed merger or non-merger or whatever, however it was going to be classified between Live and the PGA was going to see the end of Live being a real talking point. And then one of golf's biggest stars, John Number Rahm, two right now. Went reigning Masters champion, fairly recent U.S. Open champion, one of the stars of the Ryder Cup. Arguably the big, I mean, the biggest name in Europe, in European golf, probably. I mean, it's between him and Rory McIlroy, it's close. And Victor Hovland. Well, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Victor would never join Liv. Oof. They don't. But maybe they allow you to smile more, more freely on the Liv tour. No, no, he no smile never. restrictions. That that smile, that's a that's a billion dollar smile. Even Liv doesn't have <laughs> enough money to to bring Victor Hovland over. But yeah, John Rahm has joined Liv Golf, uh, refusing to say exactly how much money he took, but there are estimates that he took around five hundred and fifty to six hundred million dollars. Oh, really? I thought it said three hundred million. No, estimates are that it's uh, estimates are it's four hundred and fifty million pounds. Wow! So that's like five hundred and sixty something million dollars. Already, he'd it's obviously unclear, but he had definitely already turned down supposedly four hundred million dollars previously. So, um, you know, it's difficult to imagine that he took less than he was originally offered. In also gets ways, like a share of the, his team that he's starting yeah. a new team on the live tour. And from the sounds of it, they're trying to poach some more good players to put on his team. So that yeah, could actually he, be pretty beneficial for him in the long run. Well, he wants it to be a Spanish team. So, um, and he wants to build live golf in Spain. You know, he's acknowledged the fact that money was a motivating factor, but at the same time said that, you know, his big focus is uh, building you know, kind of his name in in the golfing world and golfing history, and that he hopes that this Spanish team will be his real golfing legacy, uh, which I find kind of difficult to imagine. But okay. hey, you got to find some way to try and spin it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's obviously you know he he was pretty outspoken um, in terms of not wanting to join Live originally in 2022. He said, "Money is great, but when." I spoke with my when my wife and I started talking about it. We were like, 
Will our lifestyle change if I got $400 million? No, it will not change one bit. I could retire right now with what I've made and live a very happy life and not play golf again. So I've never really played the game of golf for monetary reasons. I play for the love of the game and I want to play against the best in the world. I've always been interested in history and legacy. And right now the PGA Tour has that. I guess you could say there's an important part where he said, and right now the PGA Tour has that. That's maybe his sort of get out clause in that statement. He seemingly has never really been motivated by money. Um, It came out when the PGA Tour arranged sort of in response to live golf when they arranged for that additional bonus that they were playing to paying to players for sort of non-golfing reasons, um, all of the sort of social media social presence media and stuff, yeah. he was against that. He said he thought that money should be just added into prize funds um, and purses, and so the players should be winning more money, not earning more money for different reasons. So, if you're defending him, the only thing you could say is. Maybe he, along with a lot of other players, were pissed off with the fact that they turned down big chunks of money and, you know, spoke out in defense of the PGA Tour. And then the PGA Tour went behind their backs and made an agreement with Live Golf. And so maybe he thought, fuck it, then I'll get the money. Like if if you guys are going to get the money, I'll get the money. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's because the PGA Tour is now second in the competition level compared to live because i don't think taylor gooch the defending live tour champion really strikes the fear in anybody's anybody's body so i i can't see it being that the better competition is there so obviously it's it's a play on the money but honestly at this point you know is the getting in bed with the saudis really a criticism when the tour you're playing on has already gotten to bed with Saudi. So at this point, you're just trading one tour that's affiliated with them for another tour that's affiliated with them. So at the end of the day, you know, either tour has, has got its its uh, controversial issues at that point. Yeah. So <laughs> I do think, because this is always, that's always been one of the arguments, right? Even from the very beginning is that, look, there's, Saudi money in everything at this point. They, you know, are pumping money into basically every brand that you use. So, you know, unless you're going to go and live in in the woods somewhere, you've you've got some tie financial ties to Saudi Arabia. Oh, they own the woods. They own the trees. <laughs> they probably do it in some places. That's fine, but I do think there is a difference between, hey, my comp- the company I, I get money from or who pays me or whatever. It has taken investment from uh, the PIF is different to they just wrote the PIF directly just wrote me a check, you know. Like there's <laughs> there's a, a middleman. <laughs> yeah, from a moral standpoint, I do think it's different, and I think it's you could not convince me otherwise. You know, like I know I will be paid by companies who, at points over my career, where probably you know they take some investment or do some deals with another company or a country that I would prefer probably not to work with. That's just the reality of the modern world. It would be very different for me to just actually take a salary, you know, specifically from them. So, you know, I, I do think, I do think it's different, but I guess if you're him, you, you know, maybe he assumes that this this there's a d- December 31st deadline, right? It doesn't appear that there's much progress in terms of finalizing this uh, 
merger or agreement between the PGA and Liv. Some of the speculation is that Liv has made this move to increase their strength at the at the table because now they get to say, well, we've just stolen one of your biggest superstars, so let's make an agreement. I think this could have the opposite effect because I think it could piss off some of the players. Like, I felt like most of the players were kind of coming around to this thing. You know, even the likes of Roy McIlroy, and obviously he stepped down from his yeah. his position uh, on the sort of players panel, whatever that is. I think this might get a few of them like fuck well, that so, guy. So far, Rory's been not quiet because he's actually he's had opinions on it because obviously everyone's going to ask him, but he's seemed okay with it. And maybe that's because he knows this is a major Ryder Cup partner that he needs he needs on his side, so he doesn't want to piss him off too much. Um, but he hasn't been as against it as he was to previous players. He said that he said John Rahm has to play on the, in the Ryder Cup. He's yeah. already said that in response to this. He said we go whatever we got to do, we got to change now. Look how quickly because... Rory's ethics and morals turn around when it comes to the fucking Ryder Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, in fairness, right? The U.S. had. Uh, you know, one live golf player on their Ryder Cup team this year. So, um, you know, I don't think actually there are any European players on the live tour who could make a strong case for deserving to be on the Ryder Cup team. So it was pretty easy to leave them out this time around. I, what about Cam Smith? Does he count? He's Australian. So, yeah, so he just doesn't can't play at all. No, he can play in the President's Cup. Yeah. But no Sounds one gives like a shit that. about the President's Cup. That's that's just to keep some Australians and some Asians happy, but no one really gives a fuck. And the U.S. just like wins that by a landslide most years. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's disappointing because I like John Rom, and I don't care enough about the world of golf to be like I no longer like him because he's now playing on the Live Golf Tour. But I don't know. It's kind of nice sometimes to think your athletes have some moral compass. And one of the things I did like about John Rahm in general is he was a big, he played a lot of DP World Tour events. He was, you know, committed to the idea of supporting European golf and turning up to a lot of events that players of his stature would not go to. And, you know, like if you compare him and Rory McIlroy, he was far more committed to the idea of continuing to play uh, in Europe. And... This, I mean, there's a good chance, I suppose, that the DP, DP World Tour will allow John Rahm to, you know, whatever sort of form this eventual merger takes, that maybe maybe he'll play just as many European events. Maybe he'll play even more because he'll prefer to play the European events over the PGA Tour events because he won't need the money, right? So, And maybe he'd love turning up to some random European Tour event now and just absolutely dominating um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a little bit sad. The only argument I can ever understand for someone, I mean, he's won over $50 million in, in prize money already in his career. His endorsements must be through the roof on top of that. So we genuinely are talking about someone who should not be making decisions for financial reasons. Even when people love to talk about like with generational wealth, He's already earned generational wealth. But now he's like, earned more generational wealth. Yeah. He's doubled it. He's allowed for he's allowed for his child or children uh, to, to have complete, multiple mistresses. To be complete <laughs> fuck ups and still still not have it impact the family fortune. But 
the only argument I suppose is, look, I can play less golf and I can spend more time with my family. I think that's the big thing. I still think it's misleading because I do think you get sucked into some commitments with the Live Golf Tour that people never like to speak about. You know, like when you are going to have to randomly fly to Saudi Arabia and play some rounds of golf with some wealthy people because that's what you got to do. And no one really talks about that. But that's definitely involved in your contractual agreements with Live Golf. You know, but I'm sure that flight to Saudi is amazing. Oh, his, yeah, it's on the, his flight to Saudi is probably better than any meal I have in an entire year. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there's no doubt about that, Frank. <laughs> I mean, even, they've shown, right, that live golf plane. Yeah, it's like the, the plane is plane. insane. Look, it's a nice life. But again, he has a nice life already. And it will be interesting to see this December 31st deadline. It doesn't feel as if any progress has been made. When you hear the likes of Tiger Woods coming out and speaking about it, it doesn't seem like any progress has been made. Um, based on all of the speculation, it seems as if some other golfers might make the move between now and then. Um, it's just John Rahm was the biggest of the names, but rumor has it there's some other pretty big names considering a similar departure. But yeah, it's, I mean, um, what's it going to take for this live golf tour to just get, go away and stop haunting me? <laughs> the real question is, what would it take for me to actually give a shit about the live golf tour? Hey, I go. So yeah, this is true. They got you. I have. They got me. I, I go once watched, a year. <laughs> I have watched it on a handful of occasions, only when it's being played in a place where uh, the there's kind of no other sport on and I'm interested in just watching something. And so it's like, Oh, live golf's going on. And if I can figure out how to watch it for free, cause like their YouTube channel is sometimes free, sometimes <laughs> not. And there's no way I'm paying to watch live golf. Then it works. But I don't know. You know, ultimately my big issue with live golf is they're so smug and enthusiastic when you like watch their coverage of their own events because I think part of it, right, it, there's a kind of fake it until you make it mindset with live golf. Oh, for sure. And I can't stand that. I, I, I can't tune in and have someone tell me how incredible this is. For, what for already amazing final day. Some yeah. unknown player you've never heard of has made a run for the leaderboard. <laughs> but it's also they're, they're consistently talking about record-setting live golf achievements, which when you're a new competition... <laughs> It's too Good. soon to do that. I, yeah. I'm fine with someone saying that's the first hole-in-one in live golf history. Fine. But a lot of times you'll tune in and they'll be like, the greatest final round in live golf history. It's like, come on, guys. You've had 12 events. Like, this is, this is ridiculous to start putting things in historical context. But anyway, that's probably enough live golf discussion for now. Lowest sure. score for the high flyers in history of their team. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to prepare yourself, Frank, because I think between now and midway through January, we're going to have to talk about live golf a little bit more. Uh, does anyone really care? <laughs> well, it's John Rom's accountant probably really cares right now. Those yeah. are the winners, right? We have to we have to give a little thought to some people surrounding John Rom who just made a whole lot more money. What a great early Christmas present they just got. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. John Rom's caddy, I presume. I don't know exactly how that works with the Live Golf switch. Uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm assuming he gets a nice little payday. There's a lot of people in his circle 
who, yeah, will be planning a few bigger Christmas presents as a result of, of his decision. Speaking of golf, Eddie, I guess we can stay on the topic. I don't know if you saw the, um, I guess this would be the PJ Tour, is rolling back the golf balls in terms of like the density or whatever it is about the golf balls that makes them travel further. So they're rolling back. So they're cutting the distance because people are driving too far. So they're cutting it back. They said it will, it'll cut back about, I think 5%, five, anywhere from five to 10% of the distance. Yeah. I mean, I give golf credit for the fact that they have very actively thought about how technology can impact their sport. Um, which everyone would say, well, it's obvious, but you know, a lot of other sports don't, you know, there's the big discussion like tennis, for example, has just allowed tennis rackets to improve in a way that, you know, tennis players can do things nowadays that, you know, John McEnroe could not have dreamt of. And that's not, I I recently listened to a podcast on McEnroe and he talked about this at length for like five or 10 minutes. He was the last one to play with a wooden wooden racket. racket. Yeah. And it's not the last one to win a major. Yeah, it's not a talent thing, right? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Golf at least has, I mean, they have more reason to do it because obviously it changes the way you sort of approach a course. And ultimately, they can only make courses so long. Like, they can't just keep making courses longer and longer. But So they have more incentive. But they deserve credit for tackling that more head-on. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell was also recently on the Bill Simmons podcast talking about this because he was talking about the running shoes, the kind of super shoes that people can have yeah. now that where it sort of gives you extra spring and makes you faster. Um, now he, I mean, I, you know, I'm not the biggest Malcolm Gladwell fan. He kind of Huge thought fan. that this was, he thought this was unique. I mean, the, the biggest example in a sense, right, of a sport turning its back on technology was swimming with those shark suits. Oh, my God. Remember, like Sydney. Remember that, remember that year and a half. <laughs> yes, Sydney Olympics. Everyone was wearing those shark suits. Same in the running, actually, too. Right? They were wearing those full body suits, like the kind Australian. of, but they still wear them a little bit. Yeah, but not the full. They were, you know, they were going the full thing. Uh, was it Kathy Freeman, the Australian runner who won the four hundred? Maybe it was in the Sydney Sydney Olympics. But yeah, it's um. I like it. The interesting thing too, right, is that as an amateur golfer, they will not. No one will pay attention to this. That's what. But I really it will like affect them. It will affect them. But still, ultimately, you can play with a golf ball as an amateur that a professional cannot play with, right? And that's what I love. It's the idea yeah. that you'd be like, well, no. I mean, I'm I'm going to take the extra yards. But if they're but if they're buying like Titleist Pro balls, yes. they are be getting a ball that the week before was hitting five to ten percent further (laughs) oh you know there are golf psychos out there right now who are just stocking up hoarding up on those yeah like oh guys i've just bought i just spent like twelve thousand dollars on golf it's like the pandemic and it's and it's uh yes it's it's toilet paper yeah this is is toilet paper for golfers but uh it's yeah it's it's interesting now i mean rory mcelroy has been outspoken talking about in recent weeks because he's been saying he's cut length out of his game because he's decided that actually it doesn't have the impact on his sort of scoring outcomes that a lot of people think it does. Tried it and it didn't work. (laughs) Yeah, he's cut his driving distances by 20 to 30 yards, he said, on average. So I guess he won't care about the balls, but some other 
DeChambeau is going to be furious. Well, but everyone's getting impacted, so it, he'll still be the longest drive, but it'll just be 20 yards shorter. <laughs> right, but for a guy who's sort of shaped his game, right, about the idea of, well, I can drive the green here, and yeah. that's going to be, like, I can lose, I can be less accurate, but the distance makes up for the lack of accuracy. Yeah. Now it's Now he gets put into, you know, that 5% drop-off might actually impact his ability to reach greens or take on holes. Now it's I guess gonna... Live Golf Live Golf might reverse it, right? Live Golf might give all these guys Super Balls so that DeChambeau's oh. driving at 900 yards. DeChambeau's got Super Balls, all right. <laughs> so that hey, might be the live that might be the Live Golf move. You know who this won't affect? People with great iron play. Like Victor Hovland. And a smile. <laughs> You can give you can give Victor Hovland any ball in the world, and he'll keep that smile on his face. As long as there's heavy metal in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the unassuming metalhead that he is. But yeah. Anyway, that's probably enough golf talk for us. If you're a new listener and you've tuned in and you've thought, "Wow, this is the golfing podcast I've always wanted to listen to," you're gonna be nah. very disappointed. <laughs> you're gonna be very disappointed with the next episode. And if you're a new listener and thought, "I don't want to listen to golf talk." Don't worry. Next episode, you won't. Yeah. Don't worry, because we can switch into the Premier League, and I can ask Eddie the question I've been wanting to ask now for two days. Okay. Is it time for City to be worried? Uh, no. No. I think, I mean, really, we've seen them in this position in, in seasons past, right? So this is nothing. So right now, I'll, I'll just break it down. So, yeah. so right now, 15 matches in. Arsenal sit atop the table with 36 points, Liverpool second, 34, Aston Villa 32, and Man City sit at 30. So six points back of first place, which is currently Arsenal. And I will just remind our listeners, I went back to last year and looked 15 games played in. Mm -hmm. So right now, City are six back. Last year, City were five points back of Arsenal. The only difference I would say, a slight difference, is that there was no one else in between them. And I honestly think that Liverpool only being two points back of first might actually be a bigger worry at the end of the year than Arsenal. Potentially, yeah. I mean, look, I don't think they'll be unconcerned, and I can I think you can see that, right? Pep Guardiola's kind of going through that uh, process when in the press. You can see he's a little bit stressed. I mean, he claimed this week that they would win the title. Uh, he kind of <laughs> what a move. Yeah, he, he, you know, he responded to some of the leading pundits in the UK, um, the likes of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and stuff. Uh, Gary Neville said that Manchester City looked complacent. Um, Pep Guardiola responded to that, saying uh, Gary Neville doesn't really know what he's talking about because he never won the Premier League four times in a row, and that's what Manchester City were going to do. And that Jamie Carragher really didn't know what he was talking about because he never won the Premier League. So, uh, you know, he's definitely, you can tell he's a little bit riled up and, and probably is trying to get his team out of a little bit of a funk. At the same time, right, you do have to consider, yes, they've dropped points in recent weeks, but they have played Chelsea away, Liverpool home, City home, Aston Villa away, you know, in a row. And I guess we could throw in not that long ago, although they won 3-0, also played United away. So they've played yeah. most of the top seven in the past five weeks. 
and they've lost and let, it once. Yeah, and then let me let me break down. So this is going up until end of the calendar year. I'll include the January first matches as well. But um, City have have less left for this year. Crystal Palace, Brentford. Oh, sorry, Luton, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Everton, Sheffield United, and that's it. So pretty doable. Yeah, you'd expect them to win all of their remaining matches this this calendar year, um, which probably, if they do that, the gap will probably be a little bit smaller. So, you know, we're probably looking into be a situation where January 1st, let's say they're three points off top, something like that. and whereas, look, whereas Liverpool, Crystal Palace, United, West Ham, Arsenal, Burnley, Newcastle. Much tougher schedule. Yeah, it is. I mean, I see, yeah. No, I mean, and obviously you have the advantage. If you're City, you look at that and you say, well, two of the teams above us have to play each other. So no matter what, yeah. some points have to be dropped. Um, yeah. The thing is, right, I mean, I still feel very confident that City will win the league. Part of it is obviously based on the fact, and we've spoken about it at length previously, is you just have that belief in them that come, you know, when they get to the final 10 matches of the season, they'll just reel off 10 consecutive wins, and that's pretty difficult to keep up with. There is going to be a season where they don't do that, right? That is, that's not usually, like, prior to Liverpool and City kind of having those periods of dominance, that is not how the Premier League works. You didn't just you know, pencil in 30 points from your final 10 matches. And there will be a time when City will slip up in the final few matches um, and it might cost them. So, and if you were being, I guess I would say compared to say last year, the difference is this time around, I think you can actually see real issues in this City team in a way that I didn't see this time last year. Last year, it just felt like they were sort of you know, making mistakes or dropping points. And I would be concerned if I'm City just the number of goals they're conceding. That would be my biggest worry because, and we spoke about it obviously on the back of the Spurs match, they're not necessarily playing in matches where the other team should be scoring as many goals as they are. So if you're Pep Guardiola and you want to be confident, you'd say, look, over the course of the season, that will even itself out and we're do some clean sheets and kind of luck has to stop going against us to a certain degree. Like not every shot on target can go in when our, the team against us is, is you know, shooting. But it's concerning to see, you know. I mean, that Aston been... Villa match was concerning. Yeah, they, they were, were outplayed. Properly outshot. <laughs> yes. And Which is the difference if, and, you know, you look at the difference between all of those other matches that they play. You know, they should have beaten City. They should have beat uh, City. They should have beaten Spurs. They should have beaten Chelsea. They should have beaten Liverpool. You know, so you look at the other points they've dropped in recent weeks. They should have won all those matches. So, how do you feel on the back of that? Because you could tell me then, okay, Aston Villa outplayed them and deserved to win. In another, you know, universe, City won those three matches in a row and then lost to Aston Villa, and they're top of the table anyway. And what's the big concern? But you know combining being outplayed by Aston Villa, who are a good team, but not a great team, with the number of goals they're conceding. Like, in years past, there were moments, you know, you would have said previously, ours with City, there were times they just took the lead and you thought, that's game over. Okay, 1-0 City, job done, because 
they probably won't concede, but they'll definitely score again. Yeah. And right now, I don't have that feeling of invincibility about them. And I guess we have to throw in too. They also right they lost they, you know, conceded goals in the Champions League. You know, they came back from two 0 down against Leipzig uh, a week ago, or whenever that was. So they've shown they've had issues in in many many matches. But I don't know. I still I wouldn't bet my house on City winning the Premier League, but I'd still be fairly confident that they will. Well, they are currently now even money. So one to one to be league winners. Arsenal are five to two and Liverpool are would that be nine to three? Not that that's a, a relevant one. Plus three 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 is what it is in the States. Uh yeah, I'm. They're a little over three to one. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I think even money is probably fair. Look, we'll get to the end of the season. I think everyone would have said, "Why in the beginning of December didn't I just bet on City to win the league when they were? I could have doubled my money. Like, how stupid was I? Yeah. You know, I think right now you could do like a double of Bayern Munich and City to both win their leagues, and you'd get sort of one point two five, one point three returns on. You know, and one, one to four are barren right now. Yeah, Byron. so yeah, you're you know you're looking at a double that beginning of the season would have been way odds on that now you can get you know a hundred and twenty five percent returns on on what you bet, and you'd say that was pretty good value. But they definitely don't look invincible. I mean, look, I, there was a moment in this season right when I thought maybe they wouldn't lose a match, and that's definitely. Uh, not only has it not happened, they haven't looked like a team that wouldn't. They've sucked much. since you said that, actually. <laughs> Suck might be strong, but they faltered. I will agree with that. Yeah, and you know, actually, when we, when you were discussing that, I think one of the players that we were very high on was Alvarez. And he's kind of gone quiet since then. Yeah, yeah. I think he's had one, one goal in the last what, like six matches? I mean, he hasn't played quite as much. Some of these players, I mean, like Doku has come into the side, right, and had a pretty much an instant impact, and um, that's that's affected how much some of these other players have played because of the shape that they've then used, and also, you know, like Grealish has missed out to Doku, for example. Um, but yeah, no, there's been some players. Well, I mean, we said, right, in, on the back of the Kevin De Bruyne injury that some players were really going to have to step up and yep. fill that void. And they did it first, and now it feels like they're missing Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Both probably from a leadership perspective on the pitch, and then also just the creativity he brings in terms of unlocking teams. And I think I'm it's sure just that- like, it's, it's also to me, when I watch City now, it's like when De Bruyne was out there, it was constant pressure and constant chances. Like he was just creating chance after chance. And, you know, Phil Foden is a phenomenal player, and he can make great opportunities and great chances. But it doesn't seem anywhere near as the rate and the consistency which De Bruyne does it. Like you watch a match and it's like every minute, almost, you know, he's got the ball and boom, they're off and they're running. And and Foden will get the ball and will make some spectacular plays or Grealish too, you know. But it's not at that level of consistency. They're just not that good for the entirety of the match like he is. I think too, from an opposition standpoint, right, it really changes the challenge that you're facing. Right now with City, 
you know, you've got a lot of very skillful players. You know, when you're up against Foden, Grealish, and that type, you're going to be challenged by their movement and their ability to get past someone and obviously the pass, the style in which City play, but still it's it's more the focus is there. With Kevin De Bruyne, you're facing the possibility that he plays a pass from you know the halfway line that completely splits your defense and Holland's through on one-on-one on goal, and you didn't even really see the threat that De Bruyne has suddenly exposed. And, you know, that's uh, that's the difference. And it, it's tough. I mean, Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne are not the same type of player, and Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best central midfielders in the world, one of the best central midfielders from the last couple of decades. So, you know, to expect someone to come in and replace him is difficult. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they when he comes back, I mean, I think the person who probably wants him back the most right now is Holland, right? Who's not exactly, goals have not dried up for Holland, but by Erling Holland standards, goals have dried up for him. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, the City ma- uh, the, the Spurs match, I think the statistic was it was only the second time in his career he had had five or more attempts and not had a single shot on target. He did it once for Dortmund. He'd never done it for City before. So, you know, and he missed a couple of very good chances against Spurs. So that was a rare outing for him. And I guess, look, that's the thing you'd also say: is he missing, or is he missing Kevin De Bruyne, or is he was he missing basically an open goal at one point against Spurs? That you know the game probably is different if he puts that in. You know, there's it's always one of those things, right? Where we're very outcome based in terms of how we like. This is a slight crisis at City, but then again, as I just said, they could have won all those three matches in a row had the ball bounced slightly differently at different moments in time. Like if Chelsea hadn't had a last minute penalty, if Spurs hadn't yeah. found a last-minute equalizer. You know, you kind of have all these things where, like, in a different world, City are unstoppable. But, uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see. It's good for the Premier League. We want, you know, yeah. are, I say it every time, especially as a neutral. You want a, a nice... That's what I was just going to say. As, as a neutral fan, I think I prefer this because, one, it gives me something to talk about, <laughs> you know, week in, a week out. But also because it, it does make the matches more exciting because now... I mean, there are times, right, when City's just so dominant, you tune in to watch City for 15 minutes and you're like, oh, 2-0, they got it, who cares? Yeah. But now it's like, oh, man, they need a win here. You know, and every, when they get into those matches where it's the 75th minute and they still haven't scored yet, you know, you can you can almost see the pressure building on them a little bit because, you know, they're not in that position where they're up 12 points or anything. So it does it makes it way more enjoyable as a fan. Oh, I think too, right? Like even this match this weekend against Luton, which under, you know, a few weeks ago would have just been, okay, City are going to win. I probably don't even need to watch this. City are winning by three or four goals. No no worries. Now, okay, I still expect City to win against Luton. But it's now kind of you have to pay attention to it and watch it because if they are, draw, you know, level with 20 minutes to go or if Luton do somehow score first, you know, at what point do City start to get nervous or even doubt themselves, especially when you're looking at them having conceded late goals from winning positions a lot. You know, how confident are they in the final five minutes when they're only leading by a goal? There has to be some impact of what's happened in recent weeks. In and Eddie, of- most importantly, I mean, they're away to Luton. I don't know if you've oh, yeah. seen. I don't know if you've seen that stadium, but oh boy, 
That's a tough one for the away fans. Eddie. Have you seen how they have to get into the stadium to get yeah, to their seats? Through, have you ever seen it? <laughs> I've never seen it anywhere else. Never seen it anywhere else. But yeah. But well, it's real- interesting. And I, I think the other Premier League thing we have to say, right? Obviously, I uh, you know had a somewhat tongue-in-cheek prediction that Eric Ten Hag would be out of a job uh, on Halloween. And to be honest with you, he looked like on Halloween he should have been out of a job. He said, not uh, so fast. <laughs> and all of a sudden, suddenly United, the season doesn't look lost. They're sitting sixth. They're tied with Spurs. So let's say they, they kind of th- sort of fifth. Um, they're just sixth on goal difference. They're only three points behind City. If you told any Manchester United fan that they were going to be three points behind Manchester City after 15 games played, I think they would have, you know, signed up for that yeah. deal every day of the week. So, you know, they are nine points off the lead, the title. I don't think you can start to put them into the title race. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly now they'll probably start to feel like definitely the Champions League is on. You have Spurs sort of in free fall. Um, And then, you know, can can Villa maintain this for another 21 matches? I think if you're United, you know, if we draw some parallels to like a horse race, this starts to feel like, you know, you're sort of starting to get into a little bit of a cruise sitting on the on the. You know the heels of a horse in front, and you can get start to get a little bit of confidence if they're they're eyeing up Villa and they feel like they could go by them in the straight. I think, but ho- hopefully they have a jockey who realizes that there's not enough in the tank on this horse to get to first on the finish line, but to just yeah. get in the place, <laughs> just yeah. get in the placings. Listen, yes. you got you got 20 runners, top four place. All you got to yeah. do is finish the top four. <laughs> yeah, now if they've got Ryan Moore on board. This horse is going to be eased up, and and, and Manchester United are going to be relegated. But uh, if they have, you know, Andrea Adzeni on board, then yeah, they'll finish third. Yeah. But uh, I mean, and you you spoke of a, a tale of two ends here. We spoke a few weeks ago about Harry Kane, and you know, if Spurs were to continue the run that they had been on and been in major title contention, would he be a little upset, jealous, disappointed in himself? Right now, I don't think Harry Kane has much to worry about because while United have 12 from their last five, Spurs have one from their last five, and they are in an absolute free fall. But that one was against City, Frank. It was. It was. <laughs> big fucking whoop. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, they are struggling. Um, they are struggling. Let's and, forget that match exists. <laughs> and, you know, look, the other team, too, right, who we also have to consider, like Newcastle are – Showing some degrees of inconsistency. Obviously, they lost 3-0 to Everton, which is an extremely surprising result. Somehow, Everton might be able to survive a 10-point deduction. You know, it's possibility. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, it really is. We, we, we are looking at a very realistic possibility that pretty much every significant race within the Premier League, you know, title race, top four, top, top six, seven, bottom three, all of those races look like they could be very close and really come down to the wire. And, you know, as we just said, as a neutral, that's the thing you really hope for. I think there'll be some really compelling storylines as the, as the season draws on. All right. Now can we, maybe let's switch to a topic that I know will make you more happy. 
Oh. After the disappointment of the live golf, let's talk about how the Pittsburgh Steelers lost on Thursday night football. <laughs> you know what, Eddie? Can you queue up? Can you queue up? Can you queue up the soundbite that I want to hear? Uh, okay, I'll queue. Do you want it right now, or do you want to let me know when you want it? Give it to me right now. But they are who we thought they were. That's right. They fucking suck. <laughs> that team is trash. I've been saying it for four years now, <laughs> but no, and, and in all seriousness, that was absolutely pathetic. It was pathetic. One that you let Zappy go wild in the first half and have three touchdown passes on supposedly a very good defense that I don't think is as good as people think it is. And then in the second half to have the Patriots kind of say, Oh shit. We might win this game. We gotta, we gotta slow down here. Make sure we lose because we're really screwing our draft pick. And the Steelers still couldn't come back and win that game. It's, it's pathetic. I mean, and I love what, what I really enjoy is dumb fans who, when Matt Canada was fired, that, that was it. Oh my God! Finally, finally, we can unleash the Steelers' offense. Matt Canada's fired. Thank God, this is what's been holding us back. And since then, their offense, you know what it's done? Shit, it still sucks. Because they're just not that good of a team. Like, it, there's nothing around it. They have some okay players, but they have major issues with, with like, the personalities on that team. I don't know if you saw George Pickens, who this week, three weeks ago, was Deontay Johnson, just giving up on plays, not even playing half the game. Like, that's a major issue. And that goes on Tomlin, who's supposedly the best coach in the NFL. Like, I don't understand why no one gives him any criticism for this is two years in a row now. We've seen his players literally just give up on plays and in games. And it never comes back to him. Never. <laughs> never. You're such a Steelers hater. The most consistent team in the NFL. A head coach who's never finished under 500. So and yet what? you're And yet you're there being like, why doesn't he get more criticism? Why doesn't he get more hate? I mean, look, I mean, there's some bad looks for this Steelers team. I agree with you. I've never thought they were good. The, the real question. I mean, this is the. No, is the, the answer is no. They're out. No, that isn't actually my question. The question no. I was—I was not going to say—are they making the playoffs? But I, I still think they could. The real question is: Do they finish over five hundred? So they're seven and six. They've got four remaining games, yeah. so they need to win two to maintain this kind of both pointless record, but also somewhat significant record, right? Go ahead, give me, this, give me the remaining. Give it to me. Uh, they are home against the Colts. Loss. They are away. Uh, let me check, actually. Is that... I'm just checking, because sometimes I get confused if when I say home. Uh, where the pa- that, was, that was at the Patriots, right? Nice night? To no. no. No, that was at, at Pittsburgh. Home. Okay, so they've reversed it here. So they are... I take that back. They are at the Colts. Oh, loss. <laughs> they are... <laughs> they're home for the Bengals. Jake Browning, loss. Oh, no, come on. Come on. All right, I'll give them one win out of those two games. And then they are uh, at the Seahawks. Loss. Seahawks need a win. The final game of the season, and this is going to be the interesting one, I think this ultimately comes down to does this team need to win 
and they are at Baltimore. Now, that could be a situation where Baltimore don't have anything to play for. Uh, I think they might, though, because it's pretty tight. They might have to play for the number one seed. They might do, but they might not. <laughs> I mean, I would think they would because, you know, you've got the Dolph- they're They have the same Dolphins, record as the Chiefs. Dolphins right now. Um, Chiefs are game back. The, yeah. I, well, here's the thing is, I actually don't think they will have anything to play for. Because and the Jags, at, too. But the, okay, so the Ravens are playing the Jags next. Uh, the, sorry, the Ravens are playing the Jags in two weeks. Then, they're, then the Ravens are playing the 49ers. And then the Ravens are playing the Dolphins. And so to be perfectly honest, like either things have gone really well for the Ravens in that time, in which case they probably have nothing to play for, or things have gone badly for them, and so then they're locked into the two-seed or the three-seed. But the difference, I mean, like it's a moot point because even the second-string Ravens team could beat the Steelers. Okay. <laughs> okay, I want you to commit right now that if okay. the Ravens are resting everybody in Week 18, that you yeah. will just be piling onto them. And I don't want against the spread. I don't want to be, well, they're 12-point underdogs. I want money line just all in. That's okay. the commitment I want right now. Done. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. And they'll kick themselves, right, when you're the Steelers, because, yeah, that's a game you absolutely cannot lose to a team that you're right, definitely in the second half, kind of wanted to lose that game. Uh, and had they won that, I think they would have stayed in f- a fairly good position for the playoffs, and definitely, obviously, for that over 500 um, would have been pretty much probably locked in because you would say just win one more game and you get to keep this record. But yeah, I think uh, things are tough for them. But you, you never know. I'm not. I'm still not going to rule out their playoff hopes because I'm not going to. I don't know what to think about this Colts team. So you can't tell me that they don't beat the Colts and the Bengals in back to back weeks. And if they achieve that, then. They could, depending on how things play out elsewhere, be back in a very. I, mean, I still just don't know how the hell they beat the Ravens that that week. Was that like week three or four? Yeah, I mean, look, this is an NFL season with more weird results than usual. You know, you, we've spoken about it on previous in previous seasons where we always go, "This is the result that when we get to the end of the year, we'll get there and be like, how did that happen? It will make no sense once all of the games have been played.'" I feel like we've said that now six or seven times about this season. Yeah. Where it's it's going to be like, how did the Bears beat them? How did the Cardinals beat them? Like, there's going to be a handful of of really weird results. I love though how the NFL said, "Oh damn, we have we have a shitty Monday night game." Let's double down and give two shitty Monday night games to even out the games. <laughs> That's a great move by the NFL. I don't know why there's two Monday night games. It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. All right, Bill Simmons. <laughs> no, but it's not as if like Tuesday's a holiday or anything. So I don't I don't no, get I mean, why. People just love more football, right? But they're at the I'm same not... time. They're at the I same mean, yeah, time. This is, we, we spoke about this earlier in the season when they were committed to the where they were the back to back double Monday night. I just hate that exact reason that 
you there's overlap, and so they're not actually giving you more football. That kills no. me. Just play one of the games earlier, like actually play it earlier. I don't understand yeah. why you can't have it kick off 90 minutes earlier than it is. And I know they'll say like, well, people have work. If people really want to go to the game, they'll find a way to like get off work early, or they just can't go to the game and they got to sell their tickets. And someone who doesn't work Monday after four o'clock or whatever is going to buy the ticket. Like, and I mean, I guess the real right. The real question here is, can Red Zone be active then on Monday if there's two games going on at the same time? Or are they only contracted to be on on Sundays? When when would the witching hour be? Oh, <laughs> a Monday night witching hour? Oh, boy. Scott Hansen will go wild over that. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, yeah. But I guess he can't complain because you have a great Sunday night game. So, in Eagles-Cowboys. Yeah, and some decent games overall this weekend. Bills Chiefs. Yeah, kind of almost a must win for both teams there. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting weekend. We 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 said it like right two episodes ago. We started to feel like we we knew who were the real contenders in both the AFC and the NFC, and this week we'll make that even clearer um and certainly in terms of those sort of tiers and the chiefs yeah the chiefs are are starting to look i'm happy i'm 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 you know i've i've been doubting the chiefs all season i worry that this is a little bit like manchester city where they can you know they can look vulnerable in the regular season and come come the playoffs they'll they'll figure themselves out but uh i really do not want to see another super bowl that involves the kansas city chiefs particularly with the endless Taylor Swift storylines. You're such a hater. I'm not a hater. I, At Taylor this Swift point, you know fine. what? Actually, the past few weeks, it's more the Kelsey talk that's bothering me because it's slightly shifted now to being like everything about Travis Kelsey because apparently yeah. Taylor Swift fans want to know more about Kelsey. So like every article I see is this dumb fucking thing about like, did you know Travis Kelsey once ate 14 Big Macs in one sitting? Like, I don't give a shit, man. <laughs> but for like, for like, it's amazing how much he's getting out of this. Like, their podcast is now like through the roof because of it. Yeah, I mean, it was doing extremely well anyway. I never know podcast numbers, right? But the difference big. is, is like, yes, it was doing well. But it wasn't like they weren't taking snippets from the podcast and putting it into article headlines. Now it's like every time they release a podcast, it'll be like the next day it'll be like, "Here's what here's what Kelsey said about so and so or blah blah blah." Can I can I just say you often question which Instagram reels I'm fed? We know your history of the the news sites and the websites you're reading. I have, I have yet to see any articles where it takes New Heights clips and puts them in them, but maybe on Yahoo News or BuzzFeed right, buddy, it does that. At least I'm not watching risque cooking videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's a choice between an article about how many Big Macs Travis Kelsey read, uh, ate, and a, and a girl you know, unzipping a little bit too much of her shirt while she makes an omelet, I think I'll take the omelet every time. I'll take the Big Mac, so I think I could beat it. <laughs> I like the challenge. You think you could eat more than 
the number was 14. No, I don't know. I, I just made that story up. Okay. It's not an accurate story. How many, how many Big Macs do you think you could eat in an hour? Uh, a lot. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're deceivingly not that filling. It just looks filling because it's, it's like tall. And you'll but there's really after, not much meat in it. You'll feel awful afterwards. Yeah. I'll, oh, I have to. I'm not just eating a lot and saying, like, I'm going to feel great about it. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's any eating I could, challenge. I could eat 10. You think in an hour? Yeah. No way. I could eat 10. No way. These are the challenges I would never do, though, because it would be a disaster for the next five days of my life. <laughs> I think five days is extreme. I think it would be a disaster for the next, like, 24 hours. And, and by disaster, I actually mean... I just think in general, you would just feel bad. Yeah, I'd feel Not the crappy. stomach. People will always be like, oh, the stomach. Your stomach no, I'd be like lethargic. Be I'd be like, I have a headache probably. <laughs> it's just like the McDonald's impact on like how you actually feel. You know, like that's the that would be the killer more than anything else. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I when, when I was in high school and we went on a football trip, uh, we were in a train station and... Like we, where the story's we all going. Went, what? So like where it's going, what's next? And we all the challenge was I think we had like ninety minutes, it was something like that. And we all went to Burger King. And then it was you I think I may have even spoken about this on the podcast, maybe previously, but the challenge was you had to eat a full Whopper meal. You had to eat the whole thing. And then it was how many meals could you eat? Um <laughs> drink included? <laughs> drink drink and fries included. Oh. You had to you had to do it all before you could move on to the next one. And I think one guy got through six meals in ninety minutes, which was pretty impressive. Wow, that is I, impressive. I ate two and that was like I'm okay now. Like this is but one guy just plowed through it. You know what I still can't get out of my head? I don't know if you ever seen the clip. Uh it was it was someone was talking about when uh DeMar Hamlin had the injury on the field. And they had like went to the Eddie? yes maybe we think <laughs> if it was him someone who looked like Demar Hamlin um, it was like real obviously like real somber is that, and cons- is that the conspiracy I think the conspiracy is that he died right and then now this is not Demar Hamlin which well, I, I'm throwing a back end conspiracy Demar Hamlin point. died a long time ago <laughs> just to finish this <laughs> and and they had to fill just to finish not to you can keep the story going. But for those people who believe that conspiracy theory, when he was like pictured in the box with the uh, with like sunglasses on and you couldn't really see him properly, now that he's back playing in the NFL, what is that theory? Oh, like, it's just it's just another guy. It's just another they just guy. picked another guy off the practice field who looks exactly who like looks him. like him. <laughs> okay, and he's yeah. just committed to being Tamar Hamlin. Yeah. They're like, look, this is your only chance to play. You're never gonna make it to the. You're never gonna make it to the show unless you pretend to be Tamar Hamlin who died from yeah. a vaccine so, and guess what uh, you make minimum wage it's still yeah. good but you're we're never even, making more than minimum we're wage. not even paying you <laughs> special teams are special teams yeah. all right so go ahead go ahead but when that happened there's like this is clip of the guy with there's like a guy reviewing the the video footage and it's like i can't remember who was announcing the game but they're like oh like you know like we're still waiting blah 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 this just obviously doesn't look good this looks really bad here comes the ambulance there's Everyone's super concerned. We're, um, you know, we're just going to stay here and we'll go. And then the next thing you hear is whopper, whopper, chicken, whopper. <laughs> it's, it's, 
so good. And I can never get it out of my head now. That stupid whopper, whopper, chicken whopper. <laughs> it's such a good clip when you go back and watch it. It's like so distasteful. <laughs> well, now that he survived, yes, it's a good clip. It would have been less of a good clip had he uh, had he actually gone up to die. <laughs> but no. Yeah. Another, obviously we spoke about college football last podcast. I don't know if you saw, but Ron DeSantis says that. Uh, oh, just skip it. Just please skip it. I, don't, I, I, I can't deal with these s- idiots. I cannot <laughs> deal with these idiots. <laughs> I don't know what Ron DeSantis thinks he has the right to like make Sue decisions over. on the fucking college football committee. Did you see? It was even worse than that. Because then the next two days later, they were talking about it in, uh, I think it was the House of Reps. I we're, mean, these are we're the discussing. important topics that politicians yeah. need to focus and on. Then, and then Tuberville stepped in and said, if anyone has a reason to discuss this, it's clearly me. Because his team, when he was coaching, uh, Auburn went 13-0 and and didn't make it to the national title game. So he's like, if anyone has has a foot to stand on, it's me. And I don't think there was any atrocity, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why the fuck do you guys talking about this? Who cares? I mean, look, America's <laughs> perfect other than that. And so <laughs> this, we is got. The, this is what the politicians have to focus on, you know. There's not an opioid crisis. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no there's no major pressing issues that the really representative from Florida wanted to get every piece of documentation and footage and phone calls and text messages from every committee member for the week before, the week of, and the day of deciding. Because that's what he's gonna spend his entire his entire term doing, is combing through that data to see if there's some ultimate conspiracy and egregious atrocity to Florida. <laughs> the thing I love about that is, that's a greater level of detail and attention than we would pay if it were an actual legitimate political scandal. Like that's probably more than Trump had to go through as part of yeah. his, his whole trials. And yet DeSantis feels like uh, that's what the, the kind of level of scrutiny that needs to be applied to which team plays in the college football playoffs. So but yeah. Hey, the New Heights podcast, the Kelsey brothers thought that Florida State were robbed. So there you go. Well, robbed of what? playing an actual good team for once <laughs> but all right i guess that's what else do we have to cover oh i got something for you eddie all right it's not sports related unfortunately okay we'll we'll switch but it we'll is switch out of sports one of your favorites ye old buzzfeed oh shit <laughs> headline <laughs> Get ready. Gonna be, get ready. Get ready. This is going to be an important. This is going to be an important headline. I, I can't believe I missed this news, but please hit me with it. This man is going viral for sharing his list of the eight things you need to start doing once you're an adult. And as a 26-year-old teen, which I said I'm your teenager at 26, I needed this reminder. <laughs> this list is one of the fucking dumbest lists. I've ever seen how this went quote unquote viral is amazing. So there's eight. I'm going to group some of them together because a lot of them are like almost kind of the same thing. So number one, I'll, I'll tell you when I'm done with the grouping. Number one, annual doctor visit. Number two, dentist. You should be going for at the very least one cleaning a year. Number three, if you're sexually active, go get an STI STD checkup. Number four, 
Vaccines. Be up on your vaccines, not just your flu shot. Bullshit. Number five, PEP. If you had a risky sexual encounter and you're worried about HIV, go to the emergency room and get a PEP. And that's that's kind of the first that's the first five. Kind of the same. I mean, there's a direct overlap, right, with the yeah. STI STD test and the are you concerned about a recent sexual encounter? That feels like it's exactly the same. I understand they're separating it as in like one is do it on a somewhat regular basis and the other is do it in case of emergency. But I mean, if you're really going down the smart health approach, right, it should be after, hey, every new sexual partner you sleep with, you should go and get tested. But um, okay. I mean, yeah, those are mostly obvious. The thing I would, the one I would say there, when we're saying if you're an adult, so so what was, was it when you turned 30? What what age was this supposed to be from? Um, well, that adult? person said they had d- turned 26. Because um, I don't think if you're a 23, 24-year-old and you're like, how do I get my life together and start becoming a real adult? I don't think annual checkups with the doctor are no. necessary. In fact, my doctor told me I don't need annual checkups until I was about 30. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I don't see if you're in your 20s, unless obviously you have some awareness of an actual condition that you need to be concerned about. But assuming health appears to be fine otherwise, I don't know what you're going to get really out of your annual checkup. Well, this is where it's a bad list, because if I were to give advice... And it were like that type of like health medicine related. It would be if something's wrong, go see a doctor. That would be my advice when you become an adult, because if something doesn't seem right or something feels wrong, don't just say like it's nothing because it might actually be something serious. So then go to the doctor. But I I don't understand why just going for an annual visit, because literally when you go to annual visits, they don't really do anything. They might take some blood and they just like, are you smoking? Are you drinking? Oh, you're fucked. Like, <laughs> you know, I've like never not had, much more. I've never had my blood taken at an annual health checkup. I it's asked like, for it. Well, that's different. That's, but, but that's, you know, for me, it's like blood pressure. Yeah. You know, like just like doing all the very basic checks that they could do. And then, yeah, asking you, how often are you exercising? Oh, does your back hurt? Or, you know, like doing checks that like. If you raise some issue with them, they might then look into it further. But fundamentally, they're not really doing much. Like you're not getting, you're not, you can't walk out of that and be like, I am definitely 100% healthy. Like there is no way no. I have cancer after that doctor looked yeah. at me. Like there For is 10 no, seconds. No brain tumors here. Like, yeah. That's, no. <laughs> I'm definitely making it to 90. But yeah, no, I, that's, yeah. I also just think too, right? This is going to be, something I'm not everyone's going to agree with me on the burden on that on health systems is enough. We <laughs> don't need people just going for fucking checkups because they think, and I get what you're also saying. If you're concerned, if you're really concerned about something like if not because, and we have friends who do this, right? Not like my wrist hurts a little bit. I better go to the doctor and get yeah. this checked out. Sometimes you're going to have to accept as you get older that stuff doesn't feel the same way it did when you were 18 years old. Oh, that's different. If, if it's musculoskeletal, <laughs> my, my rule is once you get to 30 and something you injure, some sort of like, you know, muscle or bone, give it four to six weeks. And then if it still hurts, then go see a doctor. I even think, <laughs> I think it depends what it is. I think four to six weeks might even be, even be quick. <laughs> like, but, but yeah, no, I think, uh, 
But if like if there's a pain in your stomach or something yeah, like that, for sure. if you're shitting blood, go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. just don't just assume it's gonna pass. I do agree with you. Anything that you have legitimate concerns on. But anyway, yeah. give us the rest of the list. But I do think people like ignore that advice, and I I think that is actually legitimately good advice. If something doesn't feel right, go see a doctor. At most, it costs you forty bucks. Um, what's the next one? Let's see. Oh, next up. Pay your rent first. Okay, so we're in a housing crisis. Your rent should be the first thing you take care of every month. I mean, I don't subscribe to that theory, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in a situation where you can get away with not paying rent and nothing's going to happen to you. That's true. I haven't paid rent in nine years. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, France is a little bit different, I suppose, in terms of the security you have. I mean, yeah, that is solid advice. I mean, I don't know why we'd single out rent. You just say bills, right? Like, yeah. you get paid. Well, again, I think the bet, like, if I had to give better advice on that, it would be don't rent a place based off of, like, what you make on your paycheck. Make sure you account in for, like, all the other expenses. Like, so don't say like, oh, I make 1500 every paycheck, like two paychecks a month. So I can easily get something that's like 2000 2500 because people do that. And at that yeah. point, it's like, no, you need to really account for other things. So I think, what is it in France? It's like the... Three times. 50, three times, yeah. That might be a little egregious. But <laughs> at least, I think two times is at least To explain that the to minimum. people, like basically <laughs> someone will not rent you an apartment unless you earn three times the rent. Yeah. So... That's a little um, much. But yeah, I mean, obviously, too, just basic sound advice. Pay your bills first before you start spending your money elsewhere to make sure you have all your bills covered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious financial advice. Yeah. Next up, I'm, I'm quoting him. I'm not saying next up. Next up, cell phones. I know we all want those new cell phones. Keep your phone as long as possible, okay? It's not the worst advice. Does that no, make my I, top eight list? I don't know. <laughs> I do think there's a lot of people who, who don't have the money who waste money on new cell phones pretty consistently. And now well, that we cell know phones more. are yeah, now that cell phones <laughs> are so expensive, right? Like it's not like upgrading your phone was ten years ago. This is a thousand dollar upgrade a lot of times for people. It makes sense. But I mean you could again you could apply that to just everything. It could be like, you probably don't need as much new stuff as you think you do. You probably don't need that new thing. You probably don't need a new laptop. You probably don't need the new TV. You Keep probably don't need the most. new pair of shoes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I have the same pair of shoes for almost a year. So I'm good on oh. that one. <laughs> and you, could, you can make that argument for another reason, I think, which is the, the more important one, which is from an environmental standpoint, right? We the fast fashion and Boring. technological, technological <laughs> waste we have. That's the bigger concern more than actually whether or not some 28-year-olds are spending too much on iPhones. <laughs> Number eight. And lastly, subscriptions. Controversial, but you only need one subscription a month. That one I think he's flat out wrong. I spend about five hundred dollars a month on Pornhub. subscriptions. That's 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 <laughs> these like get yourself a Pornhub Pro account and just never leave the house. Um, yeah, one subscription a month seems tough. Like I don't. Know. I mean, I like I kind of like his idea of that is basically like 
you subscribe to Netflix for a month, watch everything you want to watch on Netflix, get rid of it, go to Hulu, watch everything on Hulu. So the only thing you're really missing out on is like that instant reaction of a TV show if it's like a big yeah. TV show, which, which is nowadays weird. is pretty rare nowadays anyway. So it's not it's not the it's actually not the worst advice. It's it's a kind of a unique thing. I don't think I could do it just because I get real like I'll watch a show on Netflix and then it's I'll struggle to find another show sometimes. So I mean, yeah, if we're limiting it to specifically streaming platforms, then, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I could only be subscribed to Netflix. It's so rare that I watch something on any of the other platforms. Like, to, wow. like for example, I mean, I've canceled my Apple TV <gasps> subscription. What? Yeah. I mean, now I'm, that Ted Lasso's over? <laughs> when Severance comes back, um, I will I'll get it again. And or when... There's that the, the the version of ba- the new Band of Brothers, Masters of the Air, or whatever it's called, which I think is going to be on. It's out. I think it's out. Uh, I well, I put on my Apple yesterday, and it was on the top screen. I don't know don't if that lie. was just a preview. I don't know if it was just a preview. Don't lie to me, Frank. I it Love was me. there. I don't know if it was just the, like the trailer was released or something. Because yeah, well, I mean, when that is out, Apple TV will have a one month subscription from me. <laughs> So, you know, that's, I do kind of agree. And the logic too behind if you did take that approach is a lot of times you can obviously get those like one month beneficial, like it will be cheaper, even if you're churning and coming back a few months later, you might be able to get Netflix for one month for a reduced rate, you know, all of that different stuff. But I mean, look, you know where he's a fool because every time you get a new Apple product, you get free Apple TV for for six months isn't it so if you keep changing your phone every six months you never have to pay for a subscription tv service so this guy's an idiot there you go he's talking about masters of the air premieres january 26 you got some time yeah fucking two months you got a month and a half yeah i mean yeah it's a while okay so in february i'll have an apple tv subscription wow what a cast too that's gonna be a good show yeah You'd, have, you'd assume so. Obviously, both um, Band of Brothers and The Pacific were excellent. I mean, it's really in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's like, this is my porn. You know? <laughs> this is, this so is, Apple TV is your porn hub. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, this is, this is very much... There's few TV shows that I've... Once I heard they were making a new... Ver- you know, like, the third iteration of this sort of not real series, right, but kind of type sort of group of shows. Uh, I was, and the fact that it has been endlessly delayed with yeah. zero explanation, that it was like it was supposed to be out in the summer. And I know the strike impacted when it was going to be released a little bit because they couldn't promote it properly. But even pre-strike, it was unclear when it was coming out. But yeah, I'm, I'm all over that. Yeah. I watch a lot of Apple TV, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah, I've watched a lot of shows on Apple TV. I mean, I think I've watched where you and I disagree, right? You really like Slow Horses. I think it's just came back for season three. So good. It's It's such a good show. But you are legitimately wrong about that take. Because one, you probably watched half an episode. I think I watched watched four episodes of season one. I think it's it's really good. And you know what? It was slow. <laughs> the, the, the name. They're thirty-minute the episodes. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. But just the plot. I don't know. I just wasn't into it. It to me, it was like too stupid to be a serious spy show. 
and trying to be too serious to be a stupid spy show. Like it, I think it, I think it hits the medium pretty well. Yeah, to me, it's like these guys are too dumb for me to believe that they're actually good spies, and then they're like too serious about the spying for me to believe that they're this dumb. And I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't get over that. But that's oh, really that's me. I know I'm in a minority here because I know it's critically acclaimed, and I know that people love it for the most part. But yeah, I'm never gonna. I'm never really going to change my mind about slow. Well, I mean, I'm never going to change my mind about slow horses because I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> and your reputation of recommending TV shows on this podcast is being to say it's in the mud would be generous. <laughs> I think is... that's false. You, all you go back on is the Mighty Ducks. I didn't recommend the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I said as a sports podcast, we should watch the Mighty Ducks yeah. TV show. Yeah, sure. It's not my fault they got real weird with tripod. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about tripod. <laughs> Wonder how that kid's dick's doing. So I, I was gonna say I did I have been watching Slow Horses, the new season just dropped. It's pretty good. But I did watch a very critically acclaimed movie that is on Netflix right now. The killer. So it's David Fincher's newest movie with uh, Michael Fassbender as a hitman or a killer. Many people put this down as like, oh, I'll, I'll rephrase that, not many people. A lot of critics put this as one of their top movies of the year, even like as like a number one. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's the best thing I've seen all year. People, I think, just sometimes love to get into the weeds about, like, the subliminal things in movies, and it makes them just blow their minds, and they kind of overreact to it a little bit. Like, and I kind of felt that when I listened to a lot of the critic response to The Killer. Yeah, I, I struggle with that sometimes in the hidden messages and stuff. My my take on that usually is it really reminds me of like high school English literature classes where you're analyzing pieces of work. And either I have to, when you get to that level of like, well, he's used this word here because it, it ties back into this word that was said like 19 chapters ago. Either I have to, and and maybe this is me being naive. I think obviously people are doing things like that a lot. But we assume like every little thing we can find we think is an Easter egg or um, some like very clever reference to like, well, he's wearing red because this historical event that happened, like, you know, either I have to think that these people are a level of genius that I can't even imagine in terms of when they're kind of writing something or that's just people as readers and viewers identifying things and then putting it together which reading too much into things yeah which i think is wonderful right if you if i wrote a piece of of uh you know if i wrote a novel i would hope that someone would go like oh my god can you can you see what he did there in terms of that was definitely uh like a mini allegory about uh the defenestration of you know it's like oh yeah. no i never even thought of that but that's that's great but yeah i think that's yeah, I've, I have not watched this. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Since I got back from my trip, I have watched no TV wow. aside from sports. It's been, I have not switched. I, my TV has only been switched on to watch sports. I have not switched on any of the, like, I've not logged into any of the 
any of the streaming platforms or anything. So it's uh, I'm out of the loop when it comes yeah. to new stuff at the moment. Well, it's on Netflix, so you can watch it. It's uh, but I agree with you with what you're saying, and I think but ultimately at the end of the day, I think that can add to a movie, and it you know it can bring it up levels, but it still has to be an enjoyable and a good movie. And I think, I, I knowing you, I think you're going to watch The Killer and you're going to say like, eh, kind of boring. You know, like I think that's kind of going to be your read. And it's, it is a little bit like, it's good. I don't know. It, I, I don't want to push your, your opinion too much, but for a movie that's gotten a lot of acclaim, uh, I don't think, I personally, I don't even think it's David Fincher's best movie. I don't. I'm not a huge David Fincher fan. I think we've discussed that previously. I'm not a huge. David well, actually, we, fan. we discussed it at a bar, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, weren't we recording there? <laughs> but yeah, I'm not a huge David Fincher fan. But yeah, it's. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go at some point. I don't know when. Probably not this weekend. Michael Fassbender is really good. He's a very unique actor. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big. I'm not probably as big of a Michael Fassbender fan as a lot of people are. Love him in Prometheus. Just gonna have to take a quick look now and see what are my favorite Michael Fassbender movies. I don't care about X Men. <laughs> I don't care about Assassin's Creed. Inglorious Bastards might be winning it at the moment. Twelve Years a Slave. <laughs> yeah, I I don't look through his. Uh, IMDb and and really get he's in a western I think I've never heard of I gotta, I gotta watch this if he if he if slow west slow west 2015 if I if he if he fucked up a western movie for me then I'm I'm fully out on Michael Fassbender <laughs> he actually is pretty good as Magneto in the X Men movies but I mean they're X Men movies so yeah they don't it, it doesn't count. <laughs> Hey, he, but, he's in a movie called Frank. <laughs> now I gotta go see that and make my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything? Anything else to discuss? I guess with that, we'll take call it a day. All right, I'll talk to you later. See you. Yep.